First John chapter 3, and uh, we looked uh, last Sunday night at verse number 1. We'll read verse number 1 through verse 5, if you would. Follow along with me here, First John chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And the last uh, few times we've met there, we're able to see that from John 1.12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So if you by faith have trusted Christ as your Savior, you are one of the sons of God. And right now, it doesn't yet appear what you will be, but we know that when Christ appears uh, at the rapture of the church, we'll be, we are going to be like him and we shall see him as he is. That leads us to do something. Verse 3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. As you see the day approaching when Christ will return, it motivates you to live for Jesus Christ, knowing that you're going to see him and wanting to be more like him now as much as possible. Then verse number 4 and 5 is going to be our text for this morning. The scripture here says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. This morning, we're going to look at four truths that are manifested in our text. Now, uh, Webster's Dictionary, uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the definition of manifested, it means plain, open, clearly visible to the eye or obvious to the understanding, apparent, not obscure or difficult to be seen or understood. So this morning, if uh, and by way of illustrating the word manifested, if I were to say to Nathan Arling down here, stay off, stay off, yes, stay off. Right now, it's not very evident or clear to him what I want him to do. Now, there are about two of you in here that speak German and you knew exactly what I was saying to him. Where's Michael? Michael, all right there. Michael, if I said stay off to you, what does that mean? All right, so Nathan, stay off, stay off, all right? So now, I might, through gestures, try and get him to more clearly understand what I'm trying to communicate to him, all right? Sets, yeah. <laughs> but now, to make it very clear to all of us what I want him to do, I would say, Nathan, stand up. All right, sit down, thank you. All right, and so we understand, I manifested to him, at first it wasn't very clear, at first, we would say, well, that was pretty obscure. Unless you're German, you don't really know what I'm asking him to do. But through communication with a language that he can understand, stand up, dude. No. <laughs> through communicating to him in a certain way, I can make very clear, I can manifest to him my desire and what I want to communicate to him. In our, in our text today, there are going to be four truths that God has manifested. They are clear we might say they are clear as a bell clear as day but number one number one the first thing that's manifested here is the manifested problem verse four says whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin is the transgression of the law now here there is a very clear problem for you and i this word whosoever it's all encompassing isn't it 
It, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. Now, God gives us a very clear definition of really uh, this idea of transgression and of breaking the law. Look with me. Hold your place here in 1 John. We'll be right back. But look at the uh, book of James. Just a couple of books before 1 John. James chapter 2 and verse 8. And if you happen to not have your Bible with you this morning, there should be one provided there in the pew for you. You, you will need it this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, a lot of Scripture. James chapter 2 and verse 8. The scripture here says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For, and again, this all-encompassing word, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of how much? All. For he, he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, right there, let me stop. He that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. So he's listing a couple of the Ten Commandments. He that said those two things, what else did he say in those Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not fall asleep in church. All right, don't <laughs> fall asleep in church. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt... Uh, he said to honor thy father and thy mother. So are there a couple other things that go along with the law other than these two? Yeah. So, so if you offend in one point, cause what'll happen is we'll be like, Whoa, all right, don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Whew, got those two licked, but oh, there are a few others. He's just using this by way of illustration. So the same one that said, do not kill said, uh, do not commit adultery. Also said, honor thy father and thy mother. Said, thou shalt not bear false witness. And he said, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So what if you have coveted? Are you a transgressor of the law? What if you have stolen? What if you have dishonored your mother and father? What if, what if you have worshipped anything other than God? Loved anything more than you loved God at any point in your life? You and I are become transgressors of the law. So it is very evident, it's very clear that, uh, or let me ask you this, how many laws would Patrick Kennedy have to go out this beautiful Sunday afternoon, how many laws would he have to break to be a lawbreaker? One. How many times would he have to be caught speeding to be a speed violator? Now, how many miles an hour would he have to go above the speed limit to be a speed violator? Dave? No, just kidding. <laughs> They, they taught me in driver's ed, you got about a four mile an hour grace period, but uh, you're still breaking the law, all right? So how many laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? One. How many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? Now, honestly, that's all it, really? I mean, just what if it's an itty bitty one and you only make one in your entire life? Yeah. If you commit one sin, it's amazing how our minds work that we, we think in, in terms of itty bitty, just one sin and then, oh, gross, kill adultery sin, right? God says, when you break the law, you have become a transgressor. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. And you know, you guys are familiar. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, that payment, that penalty, the wage of sin is death. And we know that for as by one man sin entered into the world through Adam, 
And Eve, for as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Not only a physical death, but a spiritual death. Revelation 21.8 says, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So the, we are, the manifested problem is this. All it takes is one itty-bitty sin against God to be, to be a sinner. The penalty for that sin is eternal separation from God forever in hell. That's the manifested problem. Look back at our text in 1 John chapter 3. Praise the Lord, there's a manifested person. A manifested person. Verse number 4 in our text here, 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin, here's the definition, is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested. Jesus Christ is God robed in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the express image of God's person. It is clearly revealed who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. Hold your place here and look with me at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. The scripture here says, Then certain of the scribes, Emma of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And at the end of verse 41, notice the phrase, And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Notice at the end of verse 42, Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And here you find the Jews, they, they want Jesus to show them some kind of a sign. And he says, you want a sign, I'll give you the sign of the prophet Jonas, which we know is speaking of the death, burial, and three days later, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, showing that you guys think Jonah's cool, look at Christ. You, you Jews, you think that Solomon is so great, but a greater than Solomon is here. Um, look at John chapter 10 in verse 24. John chapter 10, verse 24. Again, we see the blindness here of the Pharisees as Christ clearly reveals to them who he is. John chapter 10 and verse 24. Verse 24 says, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, it would be one thing if Jesus Christ kept it hidden as to who he was. But when you look at the miracles, you look at the fulfilled prophecies, you look here in our text at verse 30, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. It'd be one thing if Jesus Christ had never really clearly shown them who he was, but he did. There are over 33 recorded miracles just in the word of God. And we know a John at the end of the book of John, he says, if I were to write down all the things that Christ did, there are not enough books in the world. We could not write enough things about who Jesus Christ is to show the world. Um, the miracles of Christ, uh, many healings, the healing of a leper, the calming of a storm at sea, uh, healing multitudes of people, feeding 5,000 people with a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. Um, the... Uh, the raising of a widow's son and ultimately the raising of Lazarus. 
Jesus Christ over and over and over again manifested to this world who he is. And you know who Christ works through today to reveal himself to this world? First of all, through the word of God, the written word of God, and then through you and I as we live out the life that Christ has for us. As you and I live the life that we can't live in our flesh, but as you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that comforter that Christ has sent to us, you and I manifest Jesus Christ to this world. As we live differently than this world, as we respond to to heartache and sorrow differently than this world, you and I are able to manifest Jesus Christ through the Word of God and through our own lives to this world. So, first of all, there's a manifested problem, and that is our sin. Secondly, there's a manifested person, that is Jesus Christ. And then notice back with me in our text, look back at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to see here the manifested purpose. There's a problem, that's our sin. The person that's been revealed is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But the purpose here is in our text as well. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5 says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins to take away our sins um my wife and i the neighborhood that we live in we have found out that it is very easy to get rid of things that we do not want all you have to do is put it to the curb and i'm not just talking trash day i'm talking we have set things out like weight equipment we have set out printers and computers and it is amazing that about half an hour after setting something out in our neighborhood, pickup truck comes up along, they throw it in the back, and it is gone. I don't even have to pay people to take my junk. Now, here's the thing. You're thinking, well, I do that. Okay, I do too. I remember a couple of years back, I was still actually working for the city street department, and this is really hard for you to believe, but we were driving around and uh, <laughs> looking at stuff. We were driving around, and uh, I saw down, on, uh, down in a really nice neighborhood, there was a leather couch that it looked like somebody's cat or dog had kind of shredded some of the leather on the front, but it, it reclines, both sides recline, and I thought, that's mine. So later on that day, I went back and picked it up with a truck, and I think Jeff Blackford might have been on, in on that one with him and Kent helping me get it down our stairs. So hey, beggars can't be choosers, but it was a really nice couch. But my wife and I, we know that there are things you can set to the curb and people take them away. And you know, I've never had anybody, whatever they took away, bring it back. That's really nice. It just, you set it out there and it is gone, never to be seen again. So much so that last year, last summer, you guys remember I took a couple of the teen guys here to Oklahoma for a youth conference. Well, pastor had done some changes to the outside of his house. And if, if you had seen this before, he, they used to have a, like an aluminum or a steel awning and they, they tore that down off the back of the house. And uh, I took it because I was going to take it down to the recycling center and get like money out of, you know, you guys aluminum cans and all that. Uh, I, we figured on the weight of it, I was hoping to get about 20 bucks out of it. Well, it's like the second day into our Heartland trip and I had set the awning. My garage is detached from my house by about 10 to 15 feet. And I set it back behind the garage, away from the curb, on purpose, <laughs> away from the curb, you set the stuff to the curb when you want it to be taken. So I get a call, and Oklahoma is at least an hour earlier than here. 
So I'm waking up, my phone's ringing at like six in the morning. And Shauna's going, there's a guy out here and he just stole the awning. And she was like worried about, you know, him coming back and, you know, stealing other things, I guess. And so uh, it was one of those moments where I'm like, all right. (laughs) I didn't really know what to do about it because I was really far away, but we ended up getting it taken care of. But the guy hauled off with our awning and didn't bring it back. I was bombed. He just took it away. You know, Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he was manifested to take away our sins. Man, if you're saved in here this morning, your sins are gone. Jesus Christ has taken them away. And so many times, Christians, we live under the guilt of past sin and we say, Oh, but Jesus, I just want that one sin back. What? That's not how we ought to be, right? Jesus Christ has taken that. And the Bible says, um, let me give you the verse in Isaiah. It says, Isaiah 38 says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. And there are a couple times that God uses that casting behind thy back. God uses that phrase to tell his people, you've cast me behind your back. What he was telling them is, you have completely forgotten it. And, and so you see the Old Testament usage of that word. God is saying, you have completely forgotten me. So to, for Isaiah to use that same phrase and say, he's cast all my sins behind thy back. He's saying, God has chosen to forget your sin. He's forgotten it. Uh, and we know Psalm 103 says, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is, from the west so far hath he removed our transgressions from us they are gone christ the son of god was manifested he showed who he was went to that cross bled and died and rose again to take away your transgressions your sins and mine so there's a manifested purpose he took away our sin And not only that, but notice the last phrase here in our text. 1 John chapter 3 says, And in him is no sin, the manifested perfection. You know, in giving the gospel out at the fair, there's a certain point in giving somebody the gospel, at which I use this illustration, in talking about Jesus Christ. And I'll tell this person, you know, it would be a noble thing for me if, if we were walking out into the street and you didn't see a bus coming, and I pushed you out of the way, and, and, and I got hit instead. I could give my life for you, couldn't I? And, and they understand it. Well, yes, you could physically give your life for me. But then I ask them, could I pay for your sin? And I've never had one person tell me yes. I just must not look that perfect. And you know what? I'm not. And they understand, no, I'm just a human being. I'm just a person, a sinner like you. I cannot take away your sin. But Jesus, or the, the scripture here, in our text, says he takes away our sin and in him, be assured, there's no sin. We have a perfect, sinless Savior. We're going to look at some scriptures here in just a moment, but I want to give you this quote by Francis Wayland. He says, you can imagine to yourself the Savior rising from his seat in the midst of his disciples and presenting himself to the approaching multitudes. His calm dignity Alls into silence the tumultuous gathering of the people. Those who came out to witness the tricks of an empiric or listen to the ravings of a fanatic find themselves unexpectedly in a presence that repels every emotion but that of profound veneration. 
He says, The lighthearted and frivolous are all struck by the unearthly majesty that seems to clothe the Messiah as with a garment. And yet it was a majesty that shone forth conspicuous, most of all, by the manifestation of unparalleled goodness. Every eye that met the eye of the Savior quailed before him, for it looked into a soul that had never sinned. And the spirit of the sinner felt for the first time the full power of immaculate virtue. Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus Christ? Perfect, sinless, never lost his temper, never in a fit of rage, violated the word of God, never one time. We have an amazing Savior. Let's look at this. Uh, I wanted to spend uh, a good amount of time looking at these scriptures. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. This idea of in Christ is no sin. In Him is no sin. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18. The scripture here says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Christ, the manifested Savior, who was perfect, as a, the Bible says, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then look at First Peter chapter 2. Look over at chapter 2 and look at verse 21. The scripture here says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know, there are times we get ourselves into situations where we think, I just couldn't help it. I got so mad, I just couldn't help it. Or, I, I, just, I just had to sin right there. It was, just a, it was beyond me. Jesus Christ was reviled, and He didn't revile again. He was smitten of God, and yet He did not sin against God. Um, then uh, look at um, 1 John 2.1. one says that it describes Jesus Christ as the righteous. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is a really, this is such a cool verse in giving people the gospel and in showing how we exchange our righteousness for Christ. He says here in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So these are those personal pronouns. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And you guys have seen our pastor do the illustration. If this were my sin and I was covered up in it, you have Christ who is perfect and sinless. For He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. But in Him is no sin. And look with me here at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Verse 24, we've got to read this one. Hebrews 7, verse 24. But this man, because he continueth ever, speaking of Jesus Christ, who has no end, he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, because he continues ever, because he has this unchangeable priesthood, he is able to save them to the uttermost 
that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You see, God says that he is able to save us to the uttermost, to the uttermost point in time, to the uttermost complete salvation, eternal salvation as he describes it. But you have Jesus Christ continually makes intercession for you and I. So you cannot lose your salvation. First of all, you're not the one keeping it. But there will never come a time when Christ's priesthood will change and he will not be there for you as a believer to intercede for you on your behalf. You see, if you can be saved and then somehow you can still die and go to hell or sin enough, then what that says is that Christ's priesthood changed. Christ, the the intercession that God has, that Jesus Christ has between you and the Father would have to change for you as a believer to die and go to hell. But the scripture here says that he hath an unchangeable priesthood. (laughs) You and I can stand in the presence of an almighty, holy God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that does not change and will not change. You say, well, you don't know what sin I've done. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In Him is no sin. You know what? You and I were sinners. And you know what? Today, you, already this morning, I know that you sinned. Because I'm a sinner too. I know how that goes. But He says, I write these things to you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So the priesthood of Christ does not change, will not change. So those times when you really feel like, you're just not good enough to go before God. You know, Nick, I, I love the, the words of that song, just saying, uh, I'm incapable of adding anything to salvation. I'm incapable of doing anything with Christ to save myself. You can go to God today. You can talk to Jesus Christ. You can be in the presence of the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. I didn't even really get to the verses yet that we were getting to. Verse 26 here, Hebrews seven twenty six. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law make the son who is consecrated forever more. Hebrews 1 3 says it this way that Jesus Christ by himself purged our sins. Christ doesn't need any help in taking away your sin. He doesn't need the help of a religious figure, of a religious God, of an immaculate, you know, false Mary. He does not need the help of any other redeemer because he is the only one in whom is no sin. And he has an unchangeable priesthood. He continues forever and continually stands for you and I in the presence of God. So this morning, do you realize what sin is? It is the transgression of the law. And it only takes one sin to be a sinner. And that is enough sin to have separated us from God. But Jesus Christ, we know who he is. He is God. And there's no confusion about that from the scriptures. Where did the confusion come for the Pharisees? The confusion on who Christ was came when they didn't believe what he said. When they didn't reveal, the, they, when they didn't believe the miracles. 
And then are you living in the guilt of sin that Christ has taken away? You're going, wait, Jesus, bring that one back. You don't have to live under the guilt of that. It is as far as the east is from the west. So you and I, we can serve God. You have not violated God's law bad enough to where God cannot use you and, 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 you, and God doesn't have a plan for your life. And then this week, as you go through your life and your home and your job, will you remember and look to our perfect, sinless Savior and say, Lord, I come to you in this time of need. The Bible says in Hebrews that he will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Man, he lived on this earth perfect and sinless to show us how to do it. And now through the Spirit, you can live the life that God wants you to live. You can be fruitful. You can be filled with the Spirit. And uh, you know, when you think about those fruits of the Spirit, uh, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. You say, I'm not a very gentle person. All right, That's kind of what I'm trying to do right here. I'm trying to just look a little more gruff, you know. No, through the Spirit of God, you can be the Christian that God wants you to be. So look to the Savior this week. Look to the Savior. He has an unchangeable priesthood. And He's still there. You can come to Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your grace. and.